I should say a word of introduction. My name is Brian Vickers. I teach at Southern Seminary here in town, and I don't teach in the missions department. I am a professor of New Testament and Greek. So you might be wondering, what's, why am I here? Well, that's a good question. In fact, one of my students, one of my students asked me, I told him I was speaking at a conference, or, and I, I spoke here last year too, and he said, well, what are you doing there? Because I said, it's a medical missions conference. And I said, well, I am a doctor. And he said, yeah, but not the kind that helps anybody. So, <laughs> so I had to agree with him. I was like, yeah, well, but still. Um, but no, I'm here, to, uh, I'm here to speak about the Bible and missions. Um, my connection to missions, in case you are wondering, it's not, uh, it's not really academic at all. I, uh, I'm kind of a short-termer, I guess is the way you'd put it. Uh, about two or three times a year, I travel on short-term mission trips, mostly in South Asia. Um, sometimes, I mean, in January, I'm going to Pakram. I've been to Southeast Asia a few times, but mostly India, Nepal, places like that. And uh, do a bunch of different things while I'm there. So they've asked me, though, to come and speak on the Bible and missions. Though I'd be, I'd be uh, interested to know. I'm not going to take a poll. There's too many of you. I'd be interested to know what you thought when you saw this title. And the reason I'm saying that is because, and you probably know how this works, right? You're asked months ahead of time for a title. And if you're like me, that usually means before you've really thought about exactly what you're going to do. And so you come up with this title. So I came up with the title, and then I sort of sat it aside for a couple of months. I mean, this was back near the, near the end of spring or something like that, uh, beginning of summer, came up with this title. A couple of months later, I came back and looked at the title and thought, what in the world did I mean? <laughs> I mean, look at this title. Global, local, short-term, long-term, biblical models for being, quote-unquote, missional. Well, the great thing about that title is I can say almost anything today, <laughs> and it will fit that title somehow as long as I work the Bible into it. So I guess my bases are covered. And then the last thing to say, just by word of introduction, is if I move and you hear me groan, or by the end of this thing, if I'm like this, I've, uh, for the past 12 years, I've had a recurring back injury. I injured it again last Tuesday. Today's the first day I'm standing up straight since Tuesday. Um, my wife is listening to me put my shoes on this morning. It's kind of weird listening to me put my shoes on, and she said, do you have to stand up today? We're like, yeah, pretty much the whole time. She said, you better tell them you're going to be groaning. So if you see me move and I groan or wince, but I guess this is a good place to be if you have a medical problem. So if I have to yell, is there a doctor in the house and nobody gets up, somebody's lying because, right, you just don't want to get involved or something. So We're not the kind of No, you are. I'm around the other kind all the time, believe me. Believe me, speaking from experience. Okay, so I've shortened the title a little bit to uh, Biblical Models for Being Missional, but I guess the first thing to say is, what does the word missional mean? Right? Everybody's, maybe you've heard this word, I'm sure you have, because everybody uses this word at least in the last sort of 10 years or so. It's become kind of the, kind of the hip and trendy thing to say, right? It's like, you know, we're missional. And I think it's great. I'm, I'm completely on board. I'm not making fun of anybody who uses that word. I use it all the time myself. Like sometimes in, like in our church, the church I go to, we speak a lot about, about being missional. 
But I guess sometimes I, we have to ask the question, what, what does it mean to be missional? Well, it, it's kind of an adjective, I guess, in a way for, a way for the word missions, but it doesn't really mean the same thing as missions technically. I mean, if you take kind of the, I don't know, there's not a definition of missions, obviously. I mean, we could, if I start, I'm not even going to start that debate question right now. But if we just at least say, and that means if I say, um, that missions in some way involves crossing cultures, right? I mean, whatever else we might say, uh, some kind of definition of missions is probably going to, probably going to uh, involve somebody who crosses cultures in some kind of way, right? Um, missional is kind of bigger than that. So I'm going to fudge a little bit today and probably talk about missions and missional in a kind of interchangeable way. By missional, what I mean today, the way I'm going to define it is, being missional is this. It means modeling with your whole entire life the biblical story of missions. Modeling with your whole life the biblical story of missions. And you're going to hear me talk a lot today about a story and about the the story of missions because I think talking about missions in terms of a story, particularly the story of the Bible, is a way to kind of locate ourselves uh, in terms of sort of what we're talking about, but more importantly, in what we're doing. More importantly, in what we're doing when we're, when we're doing missions. Um, the other tricky word, the other tricky word in this title, tricky word in general, is the word model. I mean, come on. What's the biblical model of missions? Okay, I heard Jesus. That's right no matter what, right? So, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, that's always the answer. In, in, well, in sort of our circles, the answer is always Jesus. Um, if, if you want to, that's right. Or Paul, I heard somebody say, Paul, that's another good one. But, okay, let's say we're going to put, let's say we're going to take one of those two people or make a model of missions from the Bible. What, what would that look like? This is something that's interested me for a long time because I read a lot about, you know, a model of missions. Well, I think, I think it's difficult, well, there's the first groan, but that was self-induced. I think, um, when I think about model, it kind of puts in my mind that there's kind of one way of talking about things. I think in the Bible, we have to come, and when we're talking about the Bible, we're talking about missions, I think we have to talk about models, plural, not a model. And by model, all I mean is just the way you do something. But regardless of the way you do something, I think it's all connected to, and this is something I think that all of us who are interested in missions can and should agree on, it's all connected to the same sort of story. So no matter what your thing is, medical missions, engineering missions, mechanical missions, relief, reliefful, relief missions, whatever it is you do, right, career missions, short-term missions, whatever it is you do, we should all be doing it, I think, from the same sort of base. But the model... The model can be the model can be different, and I think the Bible gives us precedent for looking at it, looking at different models in different ways. Whoops! Completely skipped my first. Okay, we're off to a bad start. So I'm going to read the first slide that should have been there. It'll probably pop up somewhere just in the middle of this randomly. So I'm going to read the first slide to you. Um, a colleague of mine named David Sills, who wrote a book called The Missionary Call, which is an it's an excellent book. David Sills, The Missionary Call. He cuts through all the, 
My dad used to use this word rigmarole. That's a weird word, but he cuts through sort of all the rigmarole of the call, right? Sort of I've been called to missions. He sort of cuts right through that with a really sane and great discussion. Uh, I can't recommend that book enough. But David says this, talking about the model or basis for missions. To say that there's a biblical basis for missions is to understate the entire message of the Bible. Rather than arguing for a biblical basis of missions, we should view it the other way around. The work of missions is the reason for the Bible. And I think David Sills is right. Now, he's not saying that God gave us the scriptures as a missions manual. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is this, is that the Bible is God's revelation of himself as the God of missions, of the God whose heart as you, if you will, beats for the nations, right? So, so the, to talk about the, the 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 basis of the Bible, the basis in the Bible for missions, it's not so much there's a basis in the Bible; it's the Bible itself. The Bible itself itself is a story about missions, because again, it's about the God who, the God who is on mission, and who invites us to take part in that story. So, what we're going to talk about today is taking part in the story of the Bible, which is a story of missions. Okay, if you go to a talk on missions, what's the Bible text that inevitably gets read? Yes. Actually, that's, I heard a lot of things, and so I'm going to assume that what it was was the Great Commission. But it sort of sounded like speaking in tongues. So <laughs> I'm going to interpret that, right? So it's biblical, right? You spend, now I'm, there's an interpreter in the room, so it's totally biblical. Um, the Great Commission, right? Then Jesus came to them and said, everybody knows this text, right? I'm going to read it anyway. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Certainly, every talk ever given on missions starts with this. Sometimes starts or ends or stays on it the whole time. Right? I, I, I remember one time being at a, a missions, I guess it was, I guess it was a sermon, uh, where a guy was talking about the Great Commission. At the end he said, if you are in favor, if you're on board with God's purpose in the world, stand up. Well, who could sit down? Right? So he got everybody sort of signed up to go on missions. And that's the kind of thing, a lot of times we come to the Great Commission, we hear it, it's sort of like a marching order, right? And, and I guess it is in a way. I'm not saying we can't talk about it in that way. It is. It kind of is the mission's marching order. But it's more than that. The problem sometimes with the way we handle the Great Commission is we handle it as though it's just three verses kind of all by himself. But they're not. The Great Commission, the Great Commission is really the beginning of the last chapter of a really, really ancient story. That's what it is. When we're talking about doing missions, one of the things we have to say to ourselves and tell ourselves over and over and over and over again is we're taking part in a big story that we've been called to take part in and that we have been brought into ourselves. Right? So this is, when when we're talking about doing missions, what we're talking about is not just my personal call to go do this, 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 or this. What we're talking about is getting on board with the, one of the main themes of the entire Bible. In some ways, you could say the big theme of the entire Bible. Again, it's the beginning of the last chapter of an ancient promise. And what was that promise? 
Well, it goes way back. Here it is. Here it is. All the way back to Genesis 15. Now, we, we could take this back to Genesis uh, 1 through 3. A lot of times I do. I'm not going to do that. We're going to go right to here. Right? This is, a, this is really, uh, this is the first appearance of the Great Commission in the Bible. It's in Genesis chapter 15. 12. It's also in 15, but 12 here. The Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So when Jesus, when Jesus comes, sits down before his apostles on a mountain and says, go into all the world, go into all the nations, what's he saying? Go tell the world this promise has been fulfilled. That's what it is. That's what missions is. Missions is taking the fulfilled promise of God out into the world for people to be blessed by it and to become the people of God. This is how Abraham was going to be a blessing to the nations all the way from the beginning. Genesis 15, looking forward to what we've come to talk about after the New Testament as missions. That's what's going on. It was always God's intention to include all the nations. Always God's intention. And to do it through this great promise that he gives to Abraham, repeats it in in Genesis 15. So, the way this promise, of course, gets fulfilled almost immediately, of course, is through Israel, right? But, even in the midst of that, and that, of course, that goes for a long, long, long time, in the midst of that, though, this promise to the nations is kind of a, it's always kind of, I don't know, gurgling, that's a, that's a weird word, not gurgling, need a better word, boiling, that, I mean, boiling under the surface. I don't know if anything, like lava. Okay, so it's, it's always right underneath the surface. Always. And you can see it. You can see it. Right? You have the great promise and then promise keeping. Right? It never goes away. It's always, it's always at least, you prick the surface of the Old Testament, here it comes, pops up. All the nations you have made will come and worship before you. O oh Lord, they will bring glory to your name. That's in Psalms. In that day you will say, give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known among the nations what he has done, and proclaim that his name is exalted. I will set a sign among them. I will send some of those who survived to the nations, to Tarshish, to the Libyans, Lydians, famous as archers, to Tubal and to Greece and to the distant islands that have not heard of my fame or seen my glory. They will proclaim my glory among the nations. And in this great vision of Habakkuk, for the earth, the whole earth, will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the water covers the sea. No matter how bleak things got, and they got pretty bleak, no matter how bleak things got throughout the history of Israel, there was always this underlying, this, this underlying idea that God is going to keep his promise to Israel and to the nations. Always. No matter what. And you see it spread out. So you have these great promises, but you also, you also have the inclusion of some important people. For instance, there's um, back in Genesis... In chapter 38, there's a woman named Tamar, and she gets involved in a big mess with a guy called Judah. And then there's later a lady, there's, an, there's another Gentile woman called Ruth, a Moabite. Now, one of the significant things, right, of course, about both Tamar and Ruth 
is they later show up in a really, really, really important genealogy in the New Testament. Right? In the genealogy of Jesus, you have included, in that bloodline of Jesus, you have included representatives of the nations, at least through, at least through Tamar and Ruth, if not others. But at least those two. At least those two. And then you have other, you have other sort of important Gentiles pop up from time to time. You have Naaman the Syrian, right, that, that Elijah told to go, you know, you have that whole thing where he tells him to go bathe and cleanse himself. And then you have the uh, Shumanite widow. Jesus brings up both of these, both of these people in Luke 4. When he's telling, when he's, when he's, when he's sort of castigating the Pharisees for not understanding who he is. He brings up the fact that before, when God has been misunderstood, what happened? There were people going to the nations. Right? So you have this idea all along that this big promise is waiting to be fulfilled, and of course, it eventually is. Promise kept. Galatians 3.16. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say unto seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. Right? So that is the big, gigantic story of missions in the Bible. And so if you are doing missions, think about doing missions, involved in missions, or even involved in being missional with your neighbor across the street, what are you doing? What you're doing is, is you're saying, I'm taking my part, I'm playing a role in this big story. God is using me as a way of saying, hey, I keep my promises. And blessing the nations through Abraham, through you, and through me. Regardless of, how we, regardless of how we may work that out in terms of our particular models. So, that's kind of the trajectory of the Old Testament. I guess another important text is in John 12. This is sort of another version of the Great Commission, actually. When Jesus says, and I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. How is he going to do that? How is Jesus going to do that? He's going to do that by sending people out to the nations to say, be blessed. God's kept his promises. Come to Jesus. And so that's, that's really what missions is all about. And I think being missional, right? Now I'm going to sort of fudge back and forth with my def- definition again. Being missional simply means this. It's modeling that in your life. And I think if we can kind of get a hold of this idea, if we can, if we can think more and more in, in terms of, wow, I'm part of a big story that's all about what God is doing in the world, and he's included me. Right? The fact that God has, the fact that God has in, uh, kept his promise to the nations, well, I'm part of the nations. You just keep stretching back far enough. I mean, all of us, or probably most of us, are part of the nations. Right? There, I'm sure there's some people here who have uh, who come from a Jewish background. But all of us here are part of that promise. The promise to bless everybody through Abraham, Israel, and then to the nations. It comes to all of us. And then what do we do? We're called to do what? To become a means of taking that promise out further and further and further and further. How, why? Doing what? That's how Jesus is drawing people to himself. So that's the biblical story of missions. And so I think that is far more important than talking about sort of models or bases for missions. Okay? But we, models is in the title, so we're going to talk about it. How does this get worked out in the New Testament? And then subsequently, or what can we say about how it gets worked out? Well, we know, we know that the New Testament writers, or the New Testament church, that they were all about telling this big, big story of Jesus. Always. 
When Stephen is persecuted in Acts chapter 7, what's he do? Stephen gives the first lesson in biblical theology. He starts way, way back and shows them from their own history, from the scriptures, that everything was happening, everything was taking place, leading to the crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. That's what he does. That's what he does. And Jesus, on the road to Emmaus at the end of Luke, what does he do with the two disciples? He sits down and says to them, or he walks along and says to them, Hey, don't you understand? All the law, all of Moses the prophets was teaching what has to happen to the Christ. That he must suffer, die, and after three days be uh, risen from the dead. And so when Paul, when Paul goes into synagogues, what does he do? He, he reasons with them. You can see this in Acts over and over and over again. He reasons with them from the scriptures that Jesus is a Christ. So in other words, what they're doing is they're telling the story. That was sort of the first missions message, was this big story that encompasses all stories. And that's what the Bible really is all about. There's this great quote, probably some of you know it. I'm sure most, if not all of you, know the name Leslie Newbegin. Right? Leslie Newbegin tells this great story. He was a great, famous missiologist, I'm sure, again, that you know him probably better than I do. He tells this great story of being in India and talking to an Indian scholar who had read the Bible. And, uh, I'm paraphrasing the story, he comes, up to, he comes up and says, I don't understand you Christians. You have this book that tells a story that sort of takes everything into consideration. It explains everything. It's a whole entire story for the whole world. But you don't show it to people. You don't share it with people. Instead, you present this as another book of religion, another book of do's and don'ts. We have plenty books of religion. What we need is for people to tell us a story that tells all stories. And we have it. And it's the thing, I think, that should be driving us and encouraging us and helping us persevere in taking the gospel to the nations in our various different ways. So how does this get worked out? Well, we can see various plural models of this in the New Testament. First, it starts in Jerusalem. Right? It starts in Jerusalem, first Christian sermon ever, Acts chapter 2, Pentecost, and what happens? Over the next course of days, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people come to faith in Jesus. I'm going to go really, really fast. The first seven chapters are all about these amazing conversions, right? But what happens? Well, Stephen gets stoned and they go out to the nations. They take off north. They go, they go north, south, east, and west, basically. And they go all the way up. They go all the way up to... Antioch and beyond. They're talking to Jews. And people from Jerusalem actually go all the way to Cyprus and Cyrene. And people there are converted. And they come back to Antioch and talk, start talking to Gentiles about the gospel. Right? So they, they moved out from Jerusalem all the way to the Gentile church in Antioch. And then, of course, ending in Rome. Right? Uh, Acts starts off with Jesus saying, you'll be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the ends of the earth. Acts ends with Paul Weir, for all intents and purposes, at the ends of the earth in Rome in prison. The gospel having gone out in that one generation. Antioch. Well, here's a model of being missional for a whole church. Right? It's the first place the word Christian was used. And the first missionaries, so to speak, came to go to Antioch, like as I just said, from Cyprus and Cyrene. They were the first Gentile believers there. It was the first multicultural church. Antioch was the first multicultural church. If you're in a multicultural church, there's a good chance it's called Antioch. 
right? I mean, a lot of, I mean, this is, I'm not making fun of that. I'm, I'm on board. I'm, I'm t- I really am, and it sounds like I'm making fun of it. I'm not. But there's a good reason why. If you see a church called Antioch, often, often it's a church that's seeking to be multicultural based on sort of the model of the church at Antioch. It was also the first sending church. This is where you first have senders. You say, well, what about Jerusalem? Okay, well, maybe it's the second, but remember in Jerusalem, the Jerusalem church sent people out First, through intense persecution, people got driven out. Not saying it wouldn't happen eventually, but sort of the first idea of having senders, as we talk about it, right? We talk about, I mean, I mean, I think it's right. Every Christian is in missions. You just have to figure out, are you a goer or a sender or somewhere in between? Right? I think that's okay. I think that's the way we should talk about it. But this, the first idea or the first place where you have this idea of places sending, supporting and sending, is in Antioch. And of course, the first most famous missionary of all sent out from Antioch is who? Paul. Paul and Barnabas. Right? The, the church in Antioch sort of commissions them, if you will. They're, uh, that's their uh, sending agency. Their missions agency was the Antioch, I almost said Baptist church, but that would be, uh, yeah, that'd be a little self-serving. And I don't believe that either. So don't go away thinking, yeah, he thinks they were Baptist. So I'm, not, I'm not saying that. Uh, but I just almost slipped out of my mouth. It's weird, right? You get involved in these subcultures and it takes over. So anyhow, what happens? You have Paul. Well, let's talk about model. Somebody said Paul earlier is a model. Now, that's a really great thing to say. Now, let's, if you think about Paul as a model for missions, remember what Paul did is he went out and he shared this big story of the Bible in synagogues and then also with, then with Gentiles. If you think about Paul being a model, and if you think, okay, I want to be a missionary, I want to model myself up to Paul after Paul, that's really good news for you. Because what it means is you're going to be able to use your gifts and abilities in all kinds of different ways. That means, and, and all kinds of different ways through all kinds of different means, all based on the way Paul did it. Because what you see in Paul are models, not a model. I'll show you what I mean. He stayed in Damascus for several days. This right after his conversion. conversion, And he was preaching in the synagogues. We're going to fast through Paul's life. Then he went to Antioch and stayed for a whole year. Stayed in Antioch for a whole entire year sort of discipling and teaching there in Antioch. Goes off on his first missionary journey. What did they do? They planted churches. They did healings. They made disciples. They appointed elders. And then they returned through, having reached these unreached people groups, Paul's M.O., his, uh, Paul's M.O., the, the, the way he always did things is what did Paul do? Paul went to unreached people groups and then did what? Went back to them to check on them. Didn't just sort of hit them and then go. He would hit them Get there, try to help, try to start something, and then come back through continually and check them. That's one of the things Paul did. One of the things he did. And sometimes he took some of his companions and said, you know what, you know what I'm going to assign you to do? Your job is to go back and stay and teach in these places. We'll talk about that in a minute. Second missionary journey, Paul does more revisiting. Not just reaching unreached people groups, or, you know, unreached people, um, or ethno-linguistic groups, or however you want to divide them up. Not just doing that, but revisiting young churches. He also expanded his travel to other places. He also went to Athens. There's a big deal there. Spent time in jail and also suffered. I guess you put those two together. Third missionary journey. He expands his travels even further. He continues to plant churches. He spends at least two years in Ephesus. At least two years. He sort of parks it, and stays in Ephesus. 
and then continues traveling. What's he do in Ephesus? He teaches and makes disciples. We well, see already, you get the, you get the sense probably of where I'm going with this, and that is Paul was doing all kinds of different things. All kinds of different things. This one guy doing all kinds of different things. And, uh, you know, there's lots of, made lots of disciples and also more riots, more persecutions. And so here is what we see. If you want to talk about a model in Paul, you have to talk about models. Because this is what you get. Paul moved from place to place. Sometimes, often, right, we think of the model of missions as being, this is probably less than, this is definitely less than it used to be, but used to be missions was almost always defined as a lifetime of service in one place sort of out there. Right? And there were, there were sort of different reasons for that, uh, some technical reasons for that and other reasons for that. But what you see in Paul is he moved around. Sometimes, though, he would stay in one place for a long time. Paul did evangelism. Paul taught and did training, right? what we would call training, discipleship training. Paul went around and revisited churches. Paul engaged people from various cultures and backgrounds. Not just one group, but all kinds of groups. And though we, I mean, right, I'm totally misusing the word people group, but... We might say Paul's people group was the Gentiles. I know that's not a people group the way we talk about it. And it was, right? Paul was, Paul was what? The preacher to the Gentiles. That was his whole big thing. But yet, where did Paul go in every city? He also went to synagogues. He's the, he's the missionary or the, he's the evangelist, the disciple to the Gentiles, but everywhere he went, he also went into synagogues and talked to Jews. So even, even Paul didn't have, even though he had this, sort of this title, Right, Peter and James and John—they all recognized that Paul was the Paul was the what we would call the missionary to the Gentiles. He still also went and spoke to Jews. Not only that, there was a large and often changing supporting cast around Paul. In other words, there were other people doing missions along with Paul, doing various different things along with him. People like Timothy, Luke, Barnabas, Silas, Mark—not Mark, then Mark again, uh, Epaphroditus. All these people played key roles in all these early missionary endeavors. So what you see there already, if you're talking about a model in Paul, you have to include Paul and all of his friends. Paul always included his friends. And what you see is all sorts of different people who do all sorts of different things. And so already, right from the beginning, the models, I told him, okay, my wife made me promise not to do air quotes. I'm really bad about doing it. So I'm gonna, if I have to clench my fist, I'm not going to do air quotes anymore. Um, what you see already, you see, is it's not just that Paul went to... Sometimes you hear Paul preached as the first great missionary to unreached people groups. Yeah, he was. But that's not all he did. That's not the only way. If, if I mean, Paul, if we said, hey, Paul, you're a missionary. I'm a what? I don't want to tell you what I mean. Um, if we were talking to Paul and we explained it to him, he'd say, yeah, that's what I did. But I also did these other things. Also did these other things. And all these people who traveled around with Paul, they also did the other things. And think about all the, think about all the early sort of missionaries. Right? You have fishermen. You have uh, tax collectors. You have Gentiles. You have Jews. Um, you have people of, like, you have early people who are sort of Roman background, Jewish background. You even have a doctor, a real one, traveling around with Paul. All kinds of different people doing all kinds of different things. But all doing what? Living out this big story of the Bible that Jesus has come to be a blessing to the nations because God's kept his promise to Abraham. Right? That's what's driving the whole thing. Well, we're not, not quite done. Here's a church, Thessalonica, that is, if there's a missional, I just did it. 
If there's a missional church in the New Testament, it's the church at Thessalonica. Here's how Paul starts talking to them. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model, there you go, to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we don't need to say anything about you. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. So that's Paul talking about the church at Thessalonica. And here's how you could sum it up. First, he says they became models to all believers. And I think they did this in two different ways. First, Paul says that the gospel rang out. Now, sometimes there's a lot of people who say that this really refers to, not to verbal witness, but to the life change in them. I don't think that's right. In fact, I 100% don't think that's right. And there's a couple of reasons for that. For one, when Paul says it rang out, Paul uses a word there that always refers to something that's audible, something that's heard and understood. So when I think when Paul says that the gospel, plus he says the message of the Lord, the gospel of the Lord, the message of the Lord rang out, it seems to me difficult to say that what Paul's talking about is sort of them doing... Uh, them doing sort of lifestyle evangelism alone. And the other reason I think that it included both speaking the message and their life is because the next very, very next thing he talks about is the change in their life. Right? That they were witnesses both in word and in deed. Otherwise, why would he talk about this next thing, this obvious change of life, that they turned from idols to God, a change so drastic and obvious that it got the attention of people around them and beyond. So here you have this early, this, this early church. It's one, one of the first letters Paul ever wrote. The, the letters, uh, these letters to the church at Thessalonica. You have this really early church, and the first thing they do is they start living out the story. Not just in what they say, but in the way they live. Not just in the way they live, but also in what they say. Right? And doing, and again, this is just, this is just a, this is what you could call a, a local church. You also have people, I've just chose two, husband and wife team, Aquila and Priscilla, right? They were, do you know who they were? They were Jews living in Rome. They got forced out. They meet Paul in Corinth. They meet Paul in Corinth, and they invite him to stay with them. They sort of support Paul for a while. Then what do they do? Well, they kind of pack up and go on a short-term mission trip in a way. It was a little bit longer than what we normally call short-term, and, but, and who knows where they ended up. But they went to, with Paul to Syria. Then from Syria, they went to Ephesus. And while they were in Ephesus, this really smart guy comes to town preaching Jesus, named Apollos. And one of the roles that Aquila and Priscilla played was they trained and taught him because he didn't have, he didn't have all the goods. Right? He didn't, he didn't know everything there was to know. And so one of the roles that Priscilla and Aquila played, this couple forced out of Rome, supported Paul, started traveling with Paul. They stayed in Ephesus. Paul left, left them there. And then they continued on sort of this work of missions in whatever ways, but we know in one way by teaching Apollos. Right? And I would count this again as sort of another model. You have other people. We could talk about Lydia, right, who was apparently somebody very, very rich. She made purple cloth. cost a lot of money to make purple. And Paul and his companions would stay with her, so she sort of supported them. All kinds of different things we could say. Um, 
the point I'm trying to make from the Bible is what I've been saying over and over and over again. And that is, there is no sort of model. What we see in the, what we see in the early church missionary endeavors is a little bit of everything. You had people who stayed local. You had people who went international. You had people who went long-term. You had people who went short-term. You had people who went to unreached people groups. You had people who went back and stayed with people who had already been reached and trained them. You had people who supported in various sorts of ways. You had people who worked together. You had people who changed. They, they worked together, and then they, then they would go work with somebody else. What I'm trying to say is the models of doing missions in the New Testament are flexible and varied, not rigid. And I think sometimes, sometimes we, I'm not, I'm not saying necessarily anybody here, or even, or certainly not at this conference, I think sometimes what we do is we try to, we try to take the word missions or missionary and make it so tight and near and flexible and then sort of claim some biblical model that we miss the fact that missions, missions never was about a model. It was always about different people using different gifts in different ways in different places for different amounts of time and all kinds of other things, which is really great news for people living in the 21st century because because, because of the times we live in, because of the times we live in, we can sort of mimic them in ways that uh, people haven't been able to for a long time. Just, just the fact of how fast we can get around and move from place to place to place to place. Just how many different avenues are. I mean, here, look at this as a gigantic conference on medical missions. Right? All these different avenues that are open, and all of which I think are viable models based on, based on the Bible of ways to do missions. The one thing, though, that has to hold it all together in order for it to really be missions, I think, is it has to be part and parcel of that big picture of what God has done in Jesus for the nations based on his promise to Abraham. That he kept. I think that has to undergird every single thing we do. How we express it, that can vary from person to person, gift to gift, calling to calling, whatever you want to say. But I think if we start thinking of it that way, we can avoid what David Sills calls the paralysis of analysis. And that is the paralysis that comes from wrestling with your missionary call. And whether you're called or not. Right? I mean, that's up to you to sort out. But sometimes, sometimes we do get paralyzed. Because sometimes we think of missions in such narrow ways. Rather than thinking, wow, you know, there's a huge role, and we have biblical precedent for it, for people who support other sorts of work. For people who are companions, for people who take the lead, and people who support that leader. We have lots of of biblical precedent for people who went to one place for a while and then moved on. Or went to one place and then stayed there. Or went from place to place to place to place to place to place to place. All of it. All of it. So when you hear somebody say, I'm in the missions, it's all about unreached people groups. It is. It's also about other things. Other, I mean, there's sort of a little, I don't, I mean, there's sort of a little thing going on right now between unreached people group people and discipling people. Those are sort of two groups, right, that have decided, sometimes some of them have decided that they have nothing in common. And so the unreached people people, are all about missions. The only way you can do missions is reach unreached peoples, right? Um, ethno-linguistic sort of groups, right? We know. I mean, obviously, na- when we say nations, we don't mean boundaries, right? We mean we mean ethno-linguistic groups. And then other people say, no, it's all about discipling. Well, according to the, it's all about both. And drawing these lines, honestly, is just crippling. 
we cripple ourselves when we draw these weird lines just because other people have certain, certain, some gifts they're, they're uh, exercising, other people have other gifts they're exercising. There's need for all of it. But we shoot ourselves in the foot when we spend a lot and a lot of time arguing back and forth and writing articles back and forth about who's right and who's wrong when in fact you can find evidence for those different sorts of things in the Bible. And again, I think the thing that makes it valid is if it is based and driven by the Great Commission, and I mean the Great Commission in terms of it being part of the whole story of the Bible. Okay? So, that's kind of the stories or the models of being missional. Um, I, mean, I want to I open up for questions in a minute, but you know, one of, the things, one of the things that made me start thinking about this so much was meeting guys and girls and men and women in uh, South Asia who are constantly doing what we would call missions. But they don't spend a lot of time talking about what they think about it. Right? I think it's important that we talk about it and we, and we meet and have conferences. That's really important. But sometimes I think we, we kind of overthink it. Honestly, I believe that. Um, I know guys who have come to faith out of sort of Muslim backgrounds, Hindu backgrounds, Buddhist backgrounds. One of the first things they try to do, because they don't really have the means of thinking, you know, I want to go reach people for the gospel. I've got to go to outer Mongolia to do that. That's the only way. If I could just get to the other side of the world, I'm going to start sharing Jesus with everybody. And I don't do it here because I'm really called to over there. Right? You know, I mean, the best barometer for how well you're going to share Jesus in any culture is how well you do it in your culture today, all around you, wherever you are at this minute. Right? That's the best barometer. In fact, that's the only barometer. It doesn't get easier out there. I mean, it's sort of this weird view that I don't know what, I don't know what's based on. I'm sure it's based on all kinds of weird sort of Western psychological ideas that if we just get to those people, it'll be easy for us to be forceful. Well, it isn't. It's just as hard, if not harder, because you've got all kinds of other barriers. But anyway, these guys that I've met and women that I've met in, in places like India and Nepal, they live missionally at sort of every level because they just figure from hearing the story about Jesus and learning about it, they just figure this is what I'm supposed to do. Right, and, and if they're and they don't think in terms of they don't think in terms of only sort of going out there. They think in terms of being missional, like right where they are. So yeah, but the great thing is, just like there and here, you don't have to go global anymore to reach different ethno-linguistic groups. Even if you live right here in Louisville, there are almost 300 different nationalities. That doesn't say anything about the different sort of ethno-linguistic groups that dwell just in the city like this. It's not a very big city. Right, So the one thing that, that occurred to me as I talked to these guys over and over and over again is they had immediately sort of understood the story of the Bible and their role in it and the Great Commission far better than sometimes I think we do when we spend all of our time talking about it. Right? I'm not castigating anybody in this room. I'm just saying in general. And I think one of the reasons they sometimes say, sometimes the reason I think that maybe they get it is what they're doing is they're being taught the Bible, they read the Bible, and then they see, okay, here's what, this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm part of this. And so they're living it out. Right? And so anyway, that's one of the things that kind of sparked my interest in, in sort of thinking about the Bible and looking at the Bible this way. Um, rather than ending with some kind of dramatic sort of flourish, what I'd rather do is just see if anybody has any questions or comments or anything like that. I've sort of pressed it close to the time, but we have a little bit of time. If you don't, that's fine. I will hold up a book for you, though. If I have it.
This is it. Uh, like I said, it's uh, David Sills, The Missionary Call. And uh, I'm, if you haven't read it, I'm... Oh, the foreword's by Steve Saint, too. Right? So there's another, there's another reason to go buy it. Right? You, you go tell him, hey, I, read, I bought a book with him. You, you read the foreword of it. Um, his other book, David's other book, is called Reaching and Teaching. It's all about the idea of reaching unreached people groups and also training and discipleship. So anyway, I highly recommend both of these books to you. Um, I hope it's been helpful just to sort of look at the Bible and sort of, I mean, that's what they asked me to do is come and just say, hey, what's the Bible have to say? Wait, well, i got a question. Go ahead. Well, I think you're right. I think the question had to do with how do we how do we think about things like medical missions in light of the things we've been saying. Well, yeah, you're right. We don't have any examples in the Bible of somebody doing medical missions. Right? We don't. But what we do, well, okay, yeah, I heard somebody say Jesus. I know, I know. Um, I'm not going to respond to that for more than one reason. Okay. Um, yeah, okay, I know Paul healed people. Okay, you know what, you know what the question is? Come on. Right at the end. Settle down a little bit. Okay, so. I think one, one of the things, yeah, Luke was a doctor. Did he, did he practice medicine while he was doing it? Doesn't say exactly. Um, but he, okay, he probably did. So anyway, to get to your question, right, okay. To get to your question, um, I think there is precedent for it because what we see is, I mean, I think we have to infer this, is you have, you have different people from different backgrounds, and there's, there's, not sort of, there's not sort of a missionary profile, I guess. I mean, you have the disciples, sure, but you don't really have a profile of a missionary, so to speak, if you, if you take a look at the whole, sort of, the whole entirety of what's going on in the New Testament. So I think that opens the door to whatever gifts and abilities and things you have to do to go use those cross-culturally or whatever else, culturally or, whatever, or in any other way. And I'm not saying that if you're a doctor and you're standing with medicine, you say, here's this medicine you so desperately need. Uh, but first, before you get it, i got to tell you something. And you got to listen, and then I'll hand it to you. That's not what I'm saying. I don't think that's what makes a doctor a missionary. Is uh, So I just think the doctor is driven by this big idea of Jesus being a blessing to the world. right? And that medical missions can go hand-in-hand hand with reaching unreached people groups. It can go hand-in-hand hand with doing discipleship in places that already been reached. So I guess my view is the Bible leaves it wide open for kind of all hands on deck. Whatever gifts God has given you, those can be exercised in a missions context. Okay. Well, thanks for your time.